it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom Starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today we have a special guest. We have Ben Reynolds with us from Sure Dividend. Uh, this is Dave Ahern, one of the co hosts, and I also have Andrew Sather, the other co host. We're going to talk to Ben a little bit about dividend investing. He is one of the experts out there in the Internet world about dividends. He really knows his stuff, and I have to give a shout-out to him. I've been a big fan of his writing and his work for several years now, and a lot of what I've learned about dividends I learned directly from Ben's site. So I highly, highly, highly recommend you take a look at his work. It's uh, it's outstanding. All right, Ben, we're going to go ahead and ask you your first question. So how did you get interested in dividend investing? Well, first of all, thank you for the very nice intro. I've been interested in investing in general since uh, basically when I first started college. Uh, I've always been interested in finance from a very early age. And I got interested in dividend investing in particular when I started researching market anomalies. You've probably heard of some of them, like the the value effect investing in low-price-to-earnings stocks or the volatility effect where low-volatility stocks have outperformed high volatility stocks. So there's, there's these different market anom- anomalies. And one of them is that dividend stocks have outperformed non-dividend paying stocks over a very long period of time. And so that really stood out to me. And I thought it'd be interesting to see what happens when you combine dividend investing with some of the other market anomalies that I was just discussing. All right. Interesting. Oh, very cool. So how did you stumble across that information? What, I mean, where did that well, come from? One of the courses I took in college was on different market anomalies. And I mean, it was a really interesting course and that's what really got me interested in it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, I guess that kind of segues into, tell me a little bit about your background. Uh, what uh, what kinds of stuff have you been doing since since college? Well, absolutely. I'm, I'm 
my degree in college was in finance. And then after I graduated, I worked at a couple different uh, jobs. One of them was in logistics uh, at a third-party warehouse. I'm doing sales there. So wasn't quite with my degree, but uh, <laughs> my passion and expertise was really always with investing. And I was constantly reading about investing. And from there, I, I started writing a lot about investing and then uh, started from there. And uh, that's really been my outlet for learning about investing and then hopefully about it. Nice. So, so you escaped the academic route of efficient market hypothesis somehow were able to avoid that little trap. Yes, that's, that's when I really got interested in it was when I started seeing that that wasn't really accurate because that, to me, investing isn't as exciting if you can't, you can't, you can only do average. That doesn't sound exciting. But when you realize there are lots of inefficiencies and you study people that have, have, you know, exploited them, that's a lot more exciting to me. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about some of the people that kind of influenced you and kind of have directed you to kind of where you are in your philosophies. All right. Well, there's, I'll go with one that's lesser known and one that's really well known. And I, I mean, these are both from primarily, but the lesser known one is uh, Tobias Carlyle. He, he used to run uh, the Greenbacked blog, and he's written a lot of great investing books. And the one that influenced me the most was Quantitative Value uh, by Carlyle, and uh, he actually co-authored it with someone named uh, Wes, Wes Gray. And it's a phenomenal book that talks about how you can uh, basically apply quantitative screens to value investing and how you can generate returns doing that. So that, that quantitative aspect and that kind of scientific approach really influenced me. And before that, my other big influence was, I guess first I started more with value investing. And so I, I read Intelligent Investor and Security Analysis and really influenced by that work. And then I read a lot about Warren Buffett and read his annual reports and a lot of books on him. And so that also really influenced me as the focus on quality that Buffett has and long-term investing. So those are probably my two influences on my uh, investing philosophy. Interesting. I, yeah, I love, I love Tobias Carlyle stuff. It's awesome. The Acquirers Multiple is one of my favorite websites. That is a great website. I know, isn't yeah, that's and Wes Gray is also great too. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes when I read his stuff, though, it's way over my head, <laughs> but yeah, it's it is interesting. It is. He does take a very academic approach to it. Yeah, and somebody who's not uh, schooled in that, it can make it a little more challenging for me. That's for sure. Tell me about some of the important ratios for dividend investors. What kinds of things should they look for? Okay, well, you know, a lot of people, the first thing they think of is dividend yield, and of course, the yield is important if you're investing for income. But I think some other ratios that are, are really important to dividend investing that don't get quite as much of attention from dividend investors as yield, uh, one would be payout ratio. The payout ratio is really important because if you have a high payout ratio and something goes wrong with the business, there's a good chance you're going to have a dividend cut because they just don't have the earnings to support their dividend. So the lower the payout ratio, the, the less chance you have of a dividend cut and also, the, the more chance you have that management might decide, you know, we have a 30% payout ratio right now. Maybe our investment prospects have changed a little bit, our business reinvestment prospects, and we're going to bump that up to 50% over the next five years. So you might get dividend growth that's well ahead of earnings growth. And if you're watching how quickly your dividends grow, that can make a big difference. So one would be payout ratio. Uh, the other one 
which is I think probably the, the most important metric in investing is the price to earnings ratio. Uh, and, and, you know, you can go down a rabbit hole of would you rather price to free cash flow, uh, enterprise value to EBITDA, but, you know, in general, price to earnings ratio is a, a quick way to determine value and valuation is extremely important to any type of investing, especially dividend investing. So that would be one that's very important. And then finally, another ratio that doesn't get looked at as much, probably because it's a little bit harder to, to track is dividend history. And if you look at dividend history, you can see like, one of my favorite examples is the dividend aristocrats index. And it's composed entirely of businesses with 25 or more consecutive years of dividend increases. So the mean, when you think about it for a business to have increased its dividends for two and a half decades in a row, it's got to have some type of strong competitive advantage. And uh, so paying attention to dividend history can really help with reducing risk to some extent and also with returns by investing in great businesses. So I guess where would you go to find a payout ratio? Uh, there's, you can find that on most uh, data providers. Like I'm sure Yahoo Finance has it. I like Finviz. Uh, which is yeah, a okay. stock screener and website. Yeah, yeah, we're both big fans of that one too. I guess another question then, kind of along the lines, you, you mentioned the dividend aristocrats. Uh, tell me a little bit more about the aristocrats and the dividend kings. Those the, I've read a lot about those on your website, and that's kind of where I got introduced to it. And it was a term I was not familiar with, so I guess if you could explain that a little bit more. Sure, that's a, that's one of the things that really attracted me to dividend investing as well, was when I started reading about the dividend aristocrats, as I mentioned a bit earlier, it's businesses with 25 plus years of consecutive dividend increases that are in the S&P 500. And there's only 51 stocks that meet those criteria. They're generally household name stocks like Coca-Cola, Johnson & Johnson, 3M, companies like that. And what, you know, it's, it's like, oh, that sounds nice. But what really matters about this, why this matters, other than just like, hey, 25 years, is uh, Great. <laughs> the dividend aristocrats index has outperformed the market by just a bit under 3% annually for the last decade. And it's done that with lower wow. volatility than the market. So that's a, you know, that's very impressive. And it shows there's something there to it. And then the dividend Kings is even more exclusive. Those are stocks with 50 plus years of consecutive increases. And it's, there's only 19 stocks that meet that selection. Uh, and there's some of the stocks I just mentioned there the most well-known household name stocks that are, have long histories. Like another one would be Procter & Gamble or Colgate Palmolive. And gotcha. So go ahead. I, I was just going to say, you know, to, to increase your dividend every year for 50 years in a row, it shows you can withstand that business model has historically been able to withstand pretty much everything that's been thrown at it from recessions to inflation, deflation, anything that's happened. These are companies that have consistently been able to increase their dividends. And dividends can't grow over a long period of time unless earnings have consistently grown as well. And, I mean, that's where you'll really get the major compounding that you see when you talk about examples of people who've made fortunes. I mean, there's countless examples. Average people putting just a, a little bit of money with small salaries into these dividend aristocrats and dividend keens and being able to have these extraordinary gains over the decades because, like you said, number one, you're getting a company that's, because it's growing its dividend at that 
high rate and able to do over a long time, like you said, it's going to be in a company that's able to compound earnings over a long time. So you're automatically getting yourself into a company with a great business model uh, as long as you get in at a good valuation. And then secondly, if you reinvest those dividends, which a lot of the success stories of people, that's what they've tended to do. I mean, the kind of yield that you'll be getting only increases from when you originally purchased that stock. And so you could be talking about 10, 20, sometimes even 30% on your original purchase every single year in a dividend payment. And so the amount of shares and the ownership of the company that you have just kind of like balloons up. And that's where you'll see people who turn just tens of thousands into millions of dollars. Absolutely. It is. It is a very, it's a long-term perspective because I think a lot of people shy away from investing in those types of companies because they say, well, it's boring and I can only make, you know, what is it going to make me 10% a year, but a, a reliable and, you know, not, there's no guarantee of what you're going to make, but the likelihood of, of growing your wealth over time with a, a 3M or a Coca-Cola yeah. with the caveat that you buy in at the right price is is very high because they they have proven their success over such a long period of time. I mean, you you talk about the numbers too. I think you said about 19 dividend kings currently and about 50 aristocrats. So I mean, even you could buy an aristocrat and maybe you have, you know, not every aristocrat you buy is going to turn into a king, but I mean, to go from 50 to 19, that's a that's a pretty good ratio as far as getting having a good chance of that continuing. So like there's no, it's not like you have to be ahead of the game and sort of pick some stock that's undiscovered in order to get these kind of compoundings. Uh, a lot of times, like you said, with these Keens and they've been going for decades, you could buy in after seeing 10 years of history and still see another 10, 20, 30, even 40 years of compounding afterwards. Absolutely. That's one thing I've looked into is uh, dividend aristocrats from, I think, 1989 or 19, there was like, uh, close to around 48 of them, and almost half of them became dividend. So, you know, over a 25-year period, close to to raise their dividends every year. And those that did, I believe every single one, there might be one that didn't, but greatly market. And I have a an article on that on my website, a study. But... It's, it's uh, you have a fairly high chance of success by investing in great businesses. That sounds like a Warren Buffett quote. <laughs> I read a lot of Warren Buffett quotes, so I, that's really shaped, <laughs> shaped how I invest. And I, I didn't plan that when I started creating a sure dividend investment, but it kind of ties in. It, it, it's very similar in a way. And dividend growth investing is very similar to the Warren Buffett strategy. What do you think of drips? With drips, I mean, I like I like drips, but there's there's pros and cons to them. On the on the plus side, your dollar cost averaging. So, well, I guess I should back up a little bit. Those listening that aren't familiar with the drips, drips stand for dividend reinvestment plan. So it's basically just when when a company pays that dividend is used to buy more shares of the company that paid the dividend. So your the amount of shares you own steadily grows over time, and the benefit to that is you build huge positions and rising dividends every year. So you you get more shares every year from a higher dividend every year, and it really creates a 
kind of a snowball. The, the downside to drip, you, you might have a company that's trading at a very uh, a good example would be Coca-Cola in the late 90s. I mean, it was trading at an absurd valuation. And if you're dripping, you're, you're buying at a very bad time. So what I do, and what I, I think makes sense, is to collect those, and then when you reinvest them, reinvest them into your, your best dividend growth idea at the time instead of into the company that paid the dividends. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's an interesting take. I've not read that before. Where could I find more about that? <laughs> I, I there might be some articles on my site that's uh, more of my thoughts on it and it's not a thing I've really seen anywhere okay interesting so budgeting was always a challenge for me I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money not to mention all the time tracking down receipts cataloging expenses and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until monarch money Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Let's be honest here. Your sex life is important. It helps us feel more confident and boosts our happiness. But sometimes we struggle to perform. Our life gets in the way. This is where hymns can help. With their convenient and discreet online platform, you can get help for your erectile dysfunction from the comfort and privacy of your own home. No more waiting rooms, no more awkward conversations, just a simple, direct path to treatment that works around your life, not interrupts it. Invest in your health today. 
HIMSS is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. HIMSS provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatment options such as chewable hard mints, brand-name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for up to 95% cheaper. The process is simple and 100% online. No uncomfortable doctor visits. Answer a series of questions on their site, and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you free. No insurance is needed. If ED is getting you down, it's time you join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMSS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash investing. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash investing for your personalized ED treatment options. HIMSS.com slash investing. Hard mints are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety and effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. If you're a beginner and you're starting investing, would it be better to start with working with ETFs or would it be better to start with individual stocks like the aristocrats or the kings that we were talking about because they're, they tend to be a little bit more stable and have a little less volatility? That's a really good question. And, you know, as the dividend growth guy, you'd think you've got to buy the dividend stocks. <laughs> but um, that <laughs> I, it really depends on the person. And just using a, a drip, I'm certainly not against investing in low I think. Low-cost ETFs are an amazing way to people. And what it really depends on to me is the amount of time you want to spend. If you want to spend 30 minutes a year investing and you just want to lower cost average into a, a low-cost S&P 500, you're probably going to do, you know, you're going to do fairly well over time and you're not going to spend any time worrying about your investments and you're going to be spending your time doing hopefully you like better. Uh, so there's certainly nothing wrong in low-cost ETFs, I think it's a much better alternative than actively managed mutual funds. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but th- Amen. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, something you at the investing arena. Just avoiding high fees is probably the most important thing you can do. Mm-hmm. But but going on, the there's a lot of advantages I feel to invest in stocks and dividend growth stocks. So for example. With, with investing in dividend growth stocks or any individual stocks, you know what you own. So that's one big advantage that I think it comes in handy a lot during recession. So as an example, if, if you own Procter & Gamble and a recession hits and you see those shares fall 30%, but you see they keep raising their dividend and maybe earnings just fell 10%, you're, you know, hopefully you're comfortable with the knowledge that Procter & Gamble isn't going to go anywhere. They're not going to go bankrupt tomorrow because we're having a recession. They've been through, they were founded, I think, in the late 1800s or early 1900s. They're not, they're not going anywhere. And hopefully that gives you the ability to hold during recessions because you know what you own. And for me, if I own a basket of securities like a ETF, for me, I, I don't know what's in it all the way. You're not going to research all 500 stocks in the S&P 500 when you buy it. So I feel that's a, a more difficult to get comfortable with when you see the price falling because it's, it's more abstract. Uh, so that's one advantage to individual stocks. And then the, the other one is the fees. I mean, ETFs have low fees, but investing in individual stocks has no fees. There's no management fee because you're the manager. <laughs> and 
and you get to pick what you own. So you can you can avoid those. And again, going back to a, a low cost ETF, they're going to be holding some overvalued securities because they're investing in everything. You know, depending on the ETF, of course. But if you're picking securities yourself, hopefully you're not buying in at really bad prices, and you can control that. And I mean, also depending on what the market's doing, if you're buying near the tail end of a bull market, you'll tend to have an ETF that has more overvalued stocks at a higher extreme in that ETF. And I mean, it depends on how the ETF is weighted. If it's like market cap weighted, the chances of that are even greater because basically it's going to hold a basket of stocks, but it's going to hold the higher, the companies with the higher market cap, it's going to hold a greater percentage of those. And so if the market's in a bull market, there's a good chance that some of those might be overvalued. And so at the same time where you could look at the Procter & Gamble, understand that maybe you bought at a lower price, you have a better margin of safety, your downside risk isn't as great. And you contrast that to maybe an ETF with either one position that has a higher valuation or maybe even a whole basket of them. Those will tend to have a greater downside when a recession or a stock market crash or a bear market hits. And I think another thing to consider too when, when you're thinking about an ETF versus an individual stock is that you know we're 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 talking about dividend aristocrats and dividend kings and I know I don't know about you Ben but I know personally for myself I don't constrict myself to those but I do prefer to do those if the price is right but when you're tilting your portfolio to more of those you'll tend to have a greater percentage of your portfolio having dividends that are growing so like in an ETF you, you can even invest in, let's say, like a dividend-paying ETF, but you might have those dividend payments fluctuate throughout the years. So, I mean, a great example is like uh, the S&P the 500 index. Uh, you could do an index like ticker symbol SPY. If you look at that dividend history, it's it's all over the map. And so there's no guarantee that if you buy certain dividends that are growing now that they're going to grow tomorrow. But your chances are greater if you're if you have the right techniques and you have the right mindset of trying to buy these stocks that are growing their dividends and look like they will grow them for the long term. More of your stocks and a greater portion of your portfolio is gonna give you that desired result rather than an index, which there's no there's no guarantee that five years from now you might even see lower dividend payments than when you started. Those are those are excellent points and. I completely agree. And mm-hmm. I think right now is probably one of the worst times to invest in broad market ETFs just because of where valuation multiples are today. Yeah, I mean, uh, you don't want Facebook? You don't want Tesla? <laughs> <laughs> what about the uh, Snapchat? Snapchat? I'm, I'm, my portfolio is 100% yeah. Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw this tweet oh the other day. Uh, it was like, this is a sign of the top, and it had a picture of somebody's screenshot on their phone, and it's, it was a text from their mom, and it said, um, did you buy Snap? <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a, a very similar story to that. I, I got a text recently from, from someone who they don't invest that often, and they're, they're asking me, like, did you buy Snapchat? And I was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> but, you know, it, it seems like 
a lot of people are talking about that IPO, and that is a, a sign of crazy valuations. Oh yes, what did it? What did it peak out at twenty nine dollars the other day? It's crazy. Yeah, I think it, uh, it like bottomed out since then, and the only people who yes. made money were like the founders and whoever was able to buy before it went public, and then anybody who bought in the public market has ended up losing money since then. Yeah, I could I could see that it is one of those. It's a very hyped up stock. Probably one of the best examples of that. I mean, clearly, you know, people aren't looking at the financials because they're not turning anything close to a profit. And I mean, you talked about some important ratios like the dividend yield and the payout ratio, PE ratio. They're not paying the dividend and they're not even turning a profit, so they're not going to have a PE ratio either. So, I mean, we're talking about things that never would even cross our minds, yet not only do individual investors pile money into them, but so do if you're invested in an ETF that's you know has a broad base, guess what? You're going to have some money into that too, and it's going to have more, chances are that more of that capital is going to be in companies that are extremely overvalued. That's, that's very true. I think, I think what happens to a lot of people that don't follow the markets extremely closely is you hear stories of, you know, you want to invest in the next Microsoft or the next Amazon, and it really skews your thinking towards, well, all these new hot stocks, they could all be the next, you know, to return $1,000 for every dollar I put in, but most of them don't. Most of them do poorly. And if you look about, look at it, kind of look at the probability of doing well, like overall, it's not very good when you invest in those type of stocks versus value stocks or dividend stocks. I don't think it makes the headlines, right? Exactly. <laughs> hey, you. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Hey, so Ben, so tell me, tell me about dividend growth investing. You mentioned that earlier. Tell me a little bit more about that, what your thoughts are on that. Sure. Well, dividend growth investing is, as the name sounds, you're investing for dividend growth. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> And what that means is you're you're basically looking for for your dividend income to rise over time, and you're looking at stocks that have a history of paying rising dividends, or at the very least, stocks you you feel will be paying rising dividends. And the, I think that the the advantage that dividend growth investing has is it can put your focus on the dividend income you're receiving and how that grows instead of what the stock price is. And that has a big advantage when stock prices fall. You can look at the dividend income and see that it's still up and maybe be a lot less tempted to sell at the wrong time. So I guess a question along those lines then, does that mean you kind of ignore the other aspects of the business or are you still, are you still looking for kind of a strong balance sheet to strong cash flows and things like that? Or are you more just focused on the dividend and dividend only? Oh, absolutely. You're focused on the business. The business is first and uh, a strong, a weak business will not be able to increase its dividend for very long at all. It's just impossible. So you, you mean the focus has to be on the business and kind of a byproduct of a, a strong business with a shareholder friendly management. Once it's mature is that it's going to be paying rising dividends. So it's, the focus first should be on, on, you know, I said it before, great businesses, and then a kind of an outgrowth of that is the dividend growth that comes from it. So I'm kind of a really big quant guy. Uh, you're talking about value stocks and 
when it comes to the value philosophy in that camp, I kind of diverge from the normal path, I guess you'd say, and I don't look at qualitative measures at all. You're talking about finding companies that either are growing their dividend or you perceive them to grow their dividend in the future. So do you have any methods, quantitative or qualitative, either way, of determining whether a management is likely to have that kind of mindset to grow their dividend over time? Absolutely. I, uh, I'm, I'm very quantitative myself. Pretty, my, my ranking system is entirely quantitative as well. So I, I analyze businesses qualitatively and just to, to make sure the numbers, there's not something weird hiding in the numbers and the business is about to fall off a cliff for some reason that would be very obvious to a human, but numbers don't see. But every my rankings are entirely quantitative, and I have a system called the eight rules of dividend investing uh, to, to, to look into that. You want to give us like the overview of that? I think that's very interesting. It's an excellent, excellent way to approach the market. I, I've looked into it myself, and I know there's a lot of good stuff there that runs parallel with the stuff I do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the eight rules of dividend investing, there, there are five buy rules, two sell rules, and one general portfolio building rule. So I'll, I'll quickly go through the different rules. The, the first one is a dividend history screen. And it only, we only look at stocks with 25 plus years of steady or rising dividends. So businesses that haven't cut their dividend over 25 years. So that really limits the, the universe of stocks we're looking at to businesses that have already proven they have shareholder-friendly management and strong competitive advantage, or at least they've had that for the last 25 years, which makes it likely they probably still do now. Um, and there's somewhere between 180, 190 companies right now that fit that criteria. So that's the first hard screen. And that's not to say, of course, there's a lot of amazing companies that that screen will reject unfairly, but the goal really isn't to be as inclusive as possible. It's to try to minimize errors. And so it's a, it's a high bar to, to pass, but once you pass it, they're generally very high quality companies. So that's the first rule. And, and then from there, the other four uh, rankings for the buys, for buy criteria are dividend yield. Obviously the higher the dividend yield, the better, everything else being equal. Payout ratio, and all things being equal, the lower the payout ratio, the better, because that gives you more safety. And a lot of dividend investors will want look for, they want to see a high payout ratio because they feel that company is more shareholder friendly. But I look for a lower payout ratio, all things being equal, just because, like I said, it provides more safety and there's more room for the dividend to grow above earnings. Third is growth potential, and it's really a growth rate, and that's determined from a mix of historical numbers and estimates. And finally, uh, volatility, and look for a lower volatility over high volatility. And those, those criteria are all picked because different studies have shown they either increase returns or reduce risk on average. They weren't just picked out of a hack because I thought they sounded good. <laughs> um, and, and then from there, the, the two sell rules. My, my philosophy on selling is to sell as rarely as possible. I had, there's a study by... I think it's a Barbara and Odine. It's an interesting study where they, they analyze tons of individual investor accounts and they find that when individual investors sold a stock, 
and then bought a different stock, the stock they sold tended to outperform the stock they bought. So basically it's saying people, people sell at the wrong time and they buy the wrong thing. <laughs> so to avoid that, I try to uh, sell as little as possible. And that has the, also the added benefit of really reducing portfolio churn. So your expenses are minimized, your taxes are minimized. And the two sell rules are, one is the sell of a stock becomes ridiculously and absurdly overvalued. And I, I chose a price earnings ratio of 40 plus for that. And at, you know, over 40, you're, kind of in the stratosphere when you're talking about a blue chip stock. Oh, yeah. uh, that happens very rarely. And then the, the other sell rule is if a company cuts its dividend, because at the end of the day, we're practicing dividend growth investing. And if a stock cuts its dividend, it's doing the exact opposite of what it should be doing, and it doesn't belong in the portfolio. And then finally, the, the, the eighth rule is a general portfolio building rule, and it says to be reasonably diversified you get most of the benefits of diversification by owning around 20 stocks in different sectors and industries. You know, you can't own 20 oil and gas stocks and be diversified, but 20 stocks in different, you know, general in general different sectors and industries, 20 plus. I, I prefer a, a fairly small portfolio because it's easier to track and you're more invested in your best ideas. But you know, you don't want to have a super small portfolio, in my opinion. So 20. 20 is about is the goal you kind of shoot for? Yeah, in, in general, around 20. I don't have a very specific, like, you know, it has to be 20 and then I'll sell the 21st. <laughs> you know, just 20 to 30, something like that. Okay, well, thank you for that explanation. That was awesome. Absolutely. All right, well, this, uh, okay, this might be a, a strange question, but would you ever buy a company that doesn't pay a dividend? That's a, that's a good question. And uh, my answer to that is, in theory, I, I certainly would. Uh, I think there's a lot of, great investments out there that don't pay dividends, but I, I run sure dividend and I invest the way I recommend other people do. <laughs> so I'd feel almost dishonest investing in a stock that doesn't pay dividends just because if I'm recommending to invest in dividend growth stocks, then I'm out here, you know, picking up a, all the Snapchat IPOs and the Facebooks. <laughs> I'll, I'll look, you know, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I believe in dividend growth investing. Right. I'm not I'm not extremely dogmatic where I think that's the only way you can anyone can ever be successful. That's of course not the case. So you know, yes, there's lots of great investments that don't pay dividends. I wouldn't invest in them personally because of running sure dividend. It would make me feel like I'm not being uh, honest or in line with my uh, readers. Andrew, what what are your thoughts on that? I completely agree. In my opinion, investing 101 means you receive an income and you reinvest it, whether you do that through a drip or you do it in other opportunities that you found. And so, yes, you can buy stocks that don't pay a dividend, but in my opinion, you're losing one big aspect of the whole point of an investment. And so for that reason, I only buy dividend stocks as well. All right. I guess... We're talking about dividend stocks. So if I was a beginner, if I came to you guys and said, hey, I really want to start investing and I want to invest in stocks that pay dividends, how do I start? Where do I start? What would it, what would be the best way to begin? Andrew, would you like to go first? <laughs> Give it to the investing for beginners guy. I, w- I would say first, before you do anything, at least get a basic grasp of everything we're talking about. I know some of the discussion can seem kind of high level. But really, I know Ben makes his 
eight rules available. I have my seven steps available. I also talk about the payout ratio, looking for growth, growth potential, all those things. It's really, in a sense, you know, myself and Ben, we put our own unique take on this whole thing, but really it's, it's two slices of the same pie. A lot of it's, there's just general investing practices that are just really, really simple. It's common sense stuff. And a lot of people who are successful use a lot of the same principles. So number one, I don't think you should blindly jump in. We talked on the previous episode about at least getting your feet wet and buying your first stock. I think that's a great thing to do. And then from there, once you really get serious and try to put some serious money in, you know, make sure you have a, a solid foundation to start from. And then, you know, make sure you have all the, the technical things in order. You got to have a brokerage account. You got to make sure you're doing this regularly. You don't want to be somebody who maybe saves a, a bunch of money over a long period of time, throws it into the market right when the market crashes and then completely just feels traumatized by the whole experience and never goes back to it ever again. In my opinion, you want to set up a system where you're putting a reasonable amount of money away, something that you can afford, and just doing that consistently and then picking up stocks, you know, building your wealth kind of like a brick by brick thing. And you don't have to be an expert to make money in, in dividends. And if you're doing dividend growth stocks, I'm a big advocate of dividend growth stocks. A big portion of my portfolio in the e-letter is dividend fortresses, and those are all dividend growth stocks. So you don't have to be an expert. You can buy these stocks and they will do the work for you, but you do want to make sure you get some sort of solid foundation that's based on principles that work. And so lucky for you, you know, you got guys like me, Ben and Dave out there who provide those type of things. So just do that and understand that just like your dividends will grow slowly over time, so will your skill set, so will your expertise and really the likelihood that you'll find big winners, I think, only grows over time as well. Absolutely. I think that's a, a great answer. and I don't have too much to add to it. I, I'd say, I mean, I, I completely agree that learning and getting the right mindset and building knowledge beforehand, or at least when you first start, is very important. That's, you know, investing can have a very high tuition cost if you put a lot of your money in right away and don't know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, and and at the same time, oh, yeah. you know that makes it sound scary and difficult, and it, it's not difficult at all. It is fairly easy if you if you uh, study study what works, study people that have done well, and like Andrew said, there's we, we put some good resources out there. There's lots of good resources out there to learn uh, how to do this very well, and it doesn't take as much time as you'd think. Uh, one one thing that I'd like to add is I think one of the most important things you can do is to develop a long-term mindset and don't invest and say, well, this stock needs to go up in the next month or I'm selling it. No one has control over that. No one's going to know what a stock's going to do a month from now. It could be extremely undervalued. It could be the best buy of the next decade, not best buy the company, but the best purchase of the next <laughs> decade. And and you might sell it because you you want to see a return in a month. And with a long-term mindset, you're looking years into the future. 
and you're holding for the long run. And I think that's really important to, to think about before you start investing. So Ben, I mentioned my e-leather. I know you have a couple services you offer as well that is very similar. Yeah, absolutely. I have a, I have two newsletters. One is the Sure Dividend newsletter, and that focuses on high-quality dividend growth stocks. And it uses the eight rules of dividend investing, which we discussed to systematically rank dividend growth stocks to find the, the top 10 every month. And it includes a, a easy-to-follow portfolio building guide as well to, to help you build your portfolio quickly and easily. And it has detailed analysis on the top recommendations. So that's one of my newsletters. And the second newsletter, which is more recent, I had a lot of readers saying, you know, I, I like the Sure Dividend newsletter, but the yields are, the average portfolio yield there is around 3%. And all of my readers are in or near retirement, and they wanted, they were looking for higher yields. And I personally invest the way the Sure Dividend newsletter says, because I'm, I'm not in retirement. I'm, I'm building my income stream. If you're there and you're looking for higher yields higher income. I have the Sure Retirement Newsletter, which follows a similar plan to the eight rules of dividend investing, tweaked a little bit to look specifically for stocks with 5% plus yields. So it's it's more for high current income. Awesome. So where where or how would one find those? Okay. Uh, you can go to my website, suredividend.com, and there will be a, uh, a big button in the, the front of the website that says uh, start your free trial of Sure Dividend or start your free trial of Sure Retirement and you can go there and try it out. Awesome. So I was going to ask you what the goal of, of your, your website was, but I think you just kind of explained it. So that that answers that. Yeah, that's, that's uh, the goal in one sentence is to, to help people build high quality dividend growth portfolios. Nice. All right. Well, Ben, we really, really appreciate your time today. You were awesome. You gave some amazing answers. We really appreciate your insights and you taking the time to talk to us. And that will do it for us today, guys. You, Everybody have a great day, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.